This podcast is by G. Wayne Miller for the Providence Journal. Hello? Hey, Wayne, this is Joe Biden. How are you? Hi, Mr. Vice President. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for doing this. I'm happy to do it. Happy to do it. How much time do you have so I can tailor my questions? Well, I have 20 minutes. I have a quarter of that to go down uh, to the office. Imagine in his eulogy that he had befriended you in Washington before being sworn in. That's true. Um, he was good friends with Frank Church of, uh, of Idaho. Uh, Frank was uh, senior to him on the Foreign Relations Committee, and Frank and he were very simpatico uh, ideologically. Um, and uh, Frank Church, who was uh, during this period when I first got there, um, the, the head of the Foreign Relations Committee was um, William Fulbright. Yep. Um, and uh, I was put on the committee in 74. In other words, that was the one, uh, you know, was the last piece of Fulbright's career. But then after that was Sparkman, and then Church, and then Claiborne. Um, but the point of all that is this that um, Frank Church had been very deeply involved in my campaign. Frank Church was elected to the Senate when he was 30, maybe 31. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I was introduced to him by Senator Fritz Hollings of South Carolina, who was a, uh, the head of the Senatorial Campaign Committee. Because I was very interested in disarmament and on nuclear issues uh, and the environment, before we kind of call it the environment, uh, Frank Church um, uh, began to uh, give me uh, uh, um, issue papers uh, that um, were uh, helpful in my campaign. Next thing, he lent me uh, on his, um, on their time off, they took vacation time, some of the senior staff people uh, to help me, and one guy named, a young guy named Tom Dine, who was a brilliant young guy, um, and uh, went on to a, a spectacular career. Another one was his press secretary, a guy named Cleve Corlett, and the third one was a guy who became one of my great mentors, uh, who was 20-some years my senior, his special assistant, a guy named Wes Bartholmus, who had been an editor at the Washington Post, I think a Metro editor, I'm not sure that. He had worked for Bobby Kennedy, and he had worked for Congressman Bowling, one of the powerful figures in the House, and helped him co-author a book that's sort of the Bible about the House in those days called The House Out of Order. And uh, the reason I bother to give you all this background the issues that I was running on relating to Vietnam, arms control, B-1 bomber, all those things, also were issues that were uh, at the core of uh, what Claiborne was concerned about. And in the process of this and coming down and getting advice, etc., I met Claiborne, who also uh, was... Uh, was helpful in 
he was Claiborne was a terrible fundraiser, but Claiborne used to, you know, direct me to people who would be helpful to me in my campaign. And so after I got elected, um, and the accident happened involving my family, Claiborne was among a key group of senior, quote, powerful senators who took an interest in me, uh, personally and uh, uh, politically. Um, and what Claiborne would always do, knowing I went home every night to see my children, Claiborne, on the lights were in very late in session, Claiborne would always insist that I come and stay at his home in Georgetown rather than sleep in my office, sleep in a gymnasium, and or rent a room at the Hyatt, which is at the bottom of the hill. That's what you did. And I didn't do it very often because I felt self-conscious uh, about, uh, you know, going to anyone's home. and and, uh, and But in the process of that, I did it a number of times, but it was more the exception than the rule. Yeah. But he's the only person's house I stayed at. Uh, of all of the senators who would, were uh, generous and saying, Joe, why don't you, you know, stay with us? Everyone from Hollings to Tom Eagleton to, you know, Hubert Humphrey. And he was the only one uh, that I did that with. Um, and uh, in the process of that, Claiborne also would bring me into, um, uh, as a, by, the, by this time now, a year and a half later, two years, I was on the Foreign Relations Committee. I got out in 74. Claiborne, who is, as you know, earning interest. I mean, this is a guy who was vastly underestimated, in my view. Um, and uh, if you think about Claiborne, at least from my perspective, Claiborne was always ahead of the curve, um, which is, sounds inconsistent with what I think the average person would think about Claiborne, um, because he was so uh, old-fashioned. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the interest that Claiborne had were the interest that I had, the things that made me, with the exception of the National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities. I had an interest in it, but it wasn't anything that got me involved in public life. And so his interest in education and the Pell Grants, uh, his interest in transportation. Now, you know, he's the first guy that actually came up with, uh, was the guy who wrote about the Metacopolis. Uh, you probably know that, but it was kind of fascinating. You know, it really intrigued me to hear this guy who was, uh, you know, uh, from the oldest of old money, uh, was writing about the transportation net in the East Coast from Boston to Washington. Right. I mean, and, and to Richmond. It just, it fascinated me. And uh, um, and so what would happen is Claiborne would put together, his staff would put together occasional dinners or lunches with really, you know, the outside experts, you know, the, 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 the equivalent of and sometimes including the Nobel laureates, the people who really were not in government but who knew a great deal about whether it's high-speed ground transportation or sea grant colleges or you know, the, uh, the uh, nuclearization of the f ocean's floor. You know, I mean, he would bring, he'd bring all these people together. And I became sort of a, um, I don't know, sort of an acolyte. You know, I mean, I'd be invited to 
these lunches or dinners. And uh, so it just got, the relationship just sort of, um, I don't know, sort of morphed into something more than just him helping this, this young senator. I don't know if that helps you at all. Did he ever talk about his father? You mentioned during your eulogy the story about your father. Matter of fact, he gave me the book. Uh, uh, what was the name of it again? The uh, um, Ramen and Revolt. Ramen and Revolt. And I read every bit of it, and I talked about. I talked to him about it, about Tuxedo Park, and how the first tuxedo was really, you know, the name with the source of the name was from Tuxedo Park, where these guys would show up in the summer. Oh, up in Newport or other places, and they'd wear this, this quote, casual uh, thing called a tuxedo rather than tails. And I mean, it was just fascinating. I was, he always he loved talking about his father, and I loved talking with him about his father. And I loved talking with him about, uh, 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 about his ancestry and his background. And, and, uh, and I, it just fascinated me. Uh, don't ask me why. I don't know, but it did. And, uh, and he knew it fascinated me, and he knew, or I hope he knew anyway, the really high regard and significant respect I had for him. Uh, you know, because sometimes people looked at him and was, they sort of marginalized him because he was so sort of eclectic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, I was absolutely fascinated with him, and I really thought that he was really in every sense, uh, to use a trade expression, value added. I thought he was, uh, you know, like I realized he was ahead of the curve on a lot of things. I don't think most people thought in those terms about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I really admired him. And I admired his, his uh, one of the things that I get criticized for, and I'm not comparing myself to Claiborne Pell, because I'm not, you know, there's, he was in class by himself. But one of the things that I admired most about him that was my father shared without any of the patrician background was this notion of a sense of honor. Yeah. Uh, your word is your bond. Uh, I was raised in a household where my dad would say, you're a man of your word. Without your word, you're not a man. Well, Claiborne lived that. I mean, Claiborne was, you know, the, you know, he was the embodiment of rectitude. Um, and, and I really always genuinely admired him for it. Um, and so I, uh, it, it, was, it was this unusual kind of relationship. I, uh, um, you know, some, some of my younger colleagues, guys might used to kid me about the time I spent with Claiborne. Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> no, seriously. But I, uh, Robin and Revolt was sort of an eye-opener for me. Or, you know, a kid from... You know, Scranton, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, yeah. and I used to get such a kick out of, in one sense, Claiborne's lack of self-awareness. Do you know what I mean? I do know. Like, it was like, he didn't, you know, why would anybody think this is unusual? <laughs> but he did, and I, and I was young enough that I could be irreverent with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, did he appreciate that or laugh at that? Or? He, he really did. He really, at least he, at least he communicated, he appreciated it. So, you know, I say, you got to be kidding me, Claiborne. <laughs> you know, like, you know, when he told me about his, you know, there's many stories, when he told me about his father's belt, his genuine rawhide, I thought to my, I said, Claiborne, you got to be kidding me. 
all the money, and you know, he he would have his father's suit cut down. He said, "This is my father's suit. This queen, you know, our ministers, whatever the hell it was." And I say, Claiborne, you cheap SOB, you know, what the hell's the matter with you? And he just laughed, you know, that laugh of his. You know, he said, no, no, this is, you know. And uh, where, where, do you, where does his motivation come from? I mean, here he was a man of great privilege. Talk about that. And of course, I'm writing about that. And you mentioned in his eulogy that he cared as much for the, the mother from veterans as Bellevue Apple. Where did that come from? I, I don't know, but I tell you what my mom says. My mom has an expression. She says, if someone has the ability to sort of uh, instinctively know something or know what's troubling or concerning or motivating someone else, my mother always says, you know, Joey, so-and-so has that sixth sense, you know, our five senses plus one, the one you can't define. And Claiborne kind of had the sixth sense. Uh, Claiborne never was confused about the fact that there wasn't a single black woman living in the ghetto who didn't dream about her son going to college. How he got it, I don't know. But he got it. He knew it. Yet, if he had to start talk to and relate to that woman, it was not the ability to hug her and to empathize with her and to, you know, uh, um, communicate that he understood her plight or her aspiration. But he knew. And he just, he acted on his, on, on that certitude that, you know, it's like, it sounds corny, like, you know, old Claiborne really did sort of think all men created equal. Some went to Groton, but all men were created equal. You know, there was this notion that everybody's entitled to, you know, have a shot. And so that was the thing about him that I think, uh, and maybe I shouldn't have said it at the eulogy, but that was the thing about him that um, separated him from other uh, very wealthy, old money, uh, patrician, noblesse, oblige, uh, you know, school of... Uh, leaders that I've met in my career. Did he have any uh, political enemies around Washington? I know that he had a sort of a contentious relationship with Al on the Senate foreign relations. Yeah, he did. Um, because when Claiborne had difficulty hiding, he was an absolute gentleman. Right. But Claiborne had difficulty, he would never say it. But you could feel it in his body language. Uh, Claiborne just absolutely abhorred prejudice. Uh, at least that's my experience with him. Claiborne sort of abhorred the, uh, those who didn't, uh, you know, play and fight by the rules of the Marcus of Queensbury. Claiborne, uh, it surprised me. Claiborne continued to have sort of a... Uh,
You know what I mean? I'd say that very well, but so it just was, uh, you know, it's like, well, gentlemen, don't do that. You know, gentlemen, just don't do that, whatever that was. Well, I don't know what, it, it could have been anything. It could have been disrespecting one of the women in the Senate who worked at the cafeteria who delivered the coffee to the office.
this this notion that uh, you know if you in order to win if you have to run down the very institution that you work in it makes it harder for to make the institution work if you run a negative campaign that what you do is you diminish the pool in which you're sort of fishing for votes I mean and uh, so Clayton and I had literally had a number of long talks because we had a lot of the same friends a lot of the same people who had helped both of us in our campaigns, uh, like a guy named uh, uh, Mike McAdams. Uh, his nickname was Goose. He was one of my political advisors, first worked with Claiborne. He tells a story about the Claiborne the campaign where at the end of his campaign when he was running the first time against Chapin, was that 72? Yes, that was. Yeah. And what a tough race it was, he said he was campaigning with Claiborne, he was in the car, they were going to various clubs at the end of the, you know, like a couple of days left, and they were, they were going, I think, if I remember, and Deuce, unfortunately, died of a melanoma, but um, uh, uh, he told, he used to always tell the story about how he was with Claiborne in the automobile, he had a driver, he was a political guy, they were going into a, from one stop to another, and, you know, in a, in a hectic rush to the finish, and my image was, don't hold me this exactly. It was a Friday night before the election or a Saturday night. And uh, um, Claiborne went into a Greek American club. And uh, and as he walked out, it was pouring rain. And he said, uh, um, Goose, I don't have, I'm going to ruin my shoes. I don't have galoshes. And he said, You wait here, uh, Senator, you know, campaign on board, and I'll. And I'll take care of that. There was a Tom McCann shoe store across the street. Yeah. Deuce went and bought these, uh, he swears this to be true, these a pair of, you know, these slip-on rubbers you, know, you can put over your shoes. Yeah, right. Pull them up. Yeah. Notes or something. Yeah. Um, and he got them, and Claiborne was very pleased, put them on, walked out to the car, and his driving rain with an umbrella, got in the car, Deuce drove them, or he was driven home with Deuce in the back seat. He said, I mean, with Claiborne in the back seat, as Claiborne was getting out of the car, he took out the rubbers and he said, where'd you get these, uh, Deuce? And Deuce said, uh, Tom McCann, sir. He said, well, you, you thank Tom for me. And he gave him back the rubbers. Um, you know, I mean, where the hell is that going to happen? You know what I mean? So I, uh, I remember being, remember when they were shutting down and sort of, sort of retribution, they were shutting down the, uh, one of the, uh, the submarine bases or one of the bases in Newport and they were fighting like hell to keep it open. Yeah, that was right around the time of the Chapin campaign. Yeah, and uh, so um, after that, it was still going on. And uh, so all the guys in the shipyard were, uh, were, uh, were, were down and they were really angry. They were lobbying on the hill and there were hundreds of them. And then I was invited to dinner at Claiborne's house. We were sitting in that library in the front of his house, you know? Um, in Georgetown, yeah. And uh, we could hear this racket outside. We looked out the window, and some of these hard-nosed Democratic guys and labor leaders, or they weren't all labor leaders, they were uh, federal government, they were outside, and they were saying, keep the shipyard open or whatever the hell it was. And Claiborne, as a whale, had said, Claiborne said, invite them in. And by the way, we were having a discussion with this group of the equivalent of the Babel Harrimans, I don't know who it was, and they're talking about the Great Circle Room. 
I'm sitting there thinking, what in the hell is the great circle room? You know, I, I'm in the room. I don't know what they're, I came in late, and I didn't know what they were talking about. About sailing, I didn't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm the kid from Claymont, you know, the great circle room. In the midst of this discussion, Noella goes to the door and invites in the three leaders, these, you know, one little Irishman, a tough little Italian, these guys are mad as hell, and he invites them to the library and invites them to dinner. And as they walk in the door joking with them, I made the sign of the cross. Like, I'm one of you guys. Circle room, you know? They born and they talk to them about we need to be able to, we're going to fight this and do that. And they listen to them, and they said thank you and left. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell did he do that? How did he do that? And to this day, I can't think of the guy's name. Not to this day, it's been 20 years since I've seen him. But the guy who headed that group up used to come down to see Claiborne and Kid about me blessing myself. Like, you know, hey, man, I'm one of you. Joking. I was trying to break the ice. Claiborne, you know, and it just, Claiborne talked about the fact that, you know, in the great scope of things, and, and they loved him. Did he have a sense of humor about himself at all? Yeah, he did. He did. He he used to, uh, I'd say something he said, he'd say, Noella says that to me, and he'd laugh, or he'd make a comment that, uh, um, well, you know, Joe, I'm just different. You know, I mean, it was, I can't think of a quote, but he did, because I used to kid him. I'd make fun of him when he didn't bring things up. You know what I mean? Like, I remember kidding him. I'd think, Playboy. You gotta explain the great circle route to me, buddy. Well, I went to, no one knows what the hell the circle is. They thought that was the circle around the city. And you know, he laughed, you know, and so. Nuela was a big, big part of his success. Oh, Jesus, gigantic. Absolutely gigantic. She's one of my favorite people. Everyone loved and still loves Nuela. Everyone loved her. Love, love, love. I mean, and it was just such a great combination because everybody knew with her, he was always be grounded. Not that he would ever leave, but I mean that she's the kind, she was kind of the tether on the helium balloon, you know? Back from Liechtenstein, you know? <laughs> oh, here we are. I remember walking over, I got to get down the wall, oh, I'm late. I, uh, I remember walking over to the, um, to the Senate. I may have mentioned this in the eulogy, I don't recall. After... Three of us were assigned by George Mitchell to get Claiborne to run again uh, the last time. Yeah. And I, looking back on it, I wish I had maybe been happier. I don't know. But um, And so I'm walking over from his office with him to the floor to vote. It's outside. We're walking outside. We're walking through what now is the guarded area with open parking lot. And, and I said, I said, well, what else did you do, Claiborne? He said, I have mountains to climb, Joe. And I said, well, you know, I thought it was a euphemism. Yeah. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I have mountains to climb. And I said, Claiborne, this is Joe. What the hell are you talking about? And he said, Joe, I want to climb such an he named three mountains. He was serious. He wasn't trying to joke. He had mountains to climb. Like, give me a break, Claiborne. <laughs> you know, most people say I have mountains to climb. I want to write that book. I said, yeah. I want to. He literally meant mountains. This is a guy, remember, I mean, he was in the front end. I know you know this. He was in the front end of 
the government being engaged in the humanities and the arts. He was on the front end of a real, I mean, he would be exciting today. And I quoted him, by the way, when I announced the high-speed rail money, yeah. you know, $8 billion. Claiborne would be so proud of me today on high-speed rail. I mean, this is, he saw this in 65, for God's sake. Um, Claiborne Pell, you know, the Law of the Seas Treaty was a gigantic, gigantic, gigantic thing to him because guess what? You know, you still have to worry about nuclear weapons in the seabed. I mean, he, he, he you know, that was as consequential as keeping him out of space. That was Claiborne Pell. It wasn't, it wasn't just, uh, you know, he was part of it. That was Claiborne Pell. The Pell Grant, drunk driving, you know what I mean? You know, uh, uh, you know, it just, I, I don't know. He was just a, a really interesting guy. I miss him. <laughs> I miss him. Anyway, thanks. Thanks, and I'll make sure you get a copy of the book, Mr. President. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Best of luck. Thanks. Bye-bye.